Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston. I'm an executive recruiter, director of recruiting with VIP, and I am your all-around hiring guru. And as usual, I have brought you a fascinating thought leader today. So let me introduce you to him so we can go ahead and get him on here. So today on the show, I would like to welcome Kwame Christian, director and lead trainer at the American Negotiation Institute. Kwame conducts negotiation and conflict management workshops around the country and brings a unique multidisciplinary approach to making difficult conversations easier. He is the author of a best-selling book, of course, we like those best-selling authors, called Finding Confidence in Conflict, How to Negotiate Anything and Live Your Best Life. His And his TEDx talk, which is Finding Confidence in Conflict, which I just watched and was absolutely blown away. I'm just going to say one thing, Serial Gate. We'll talk about that. Uh, was what the most popular TED Talk on the topic of conflict in 2017. Kwame also, as if this isn't enough, hosts the top negotiation podcast in the world, Negotiate Anything. Kwame, I have been so excited for this conversation. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Casey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just real quickly, I like to tell people how I got connected to someone so that they can realize the importance of connecting the dots and making those introductions because you never know what, what introduction is going to lead to Kwame, right? So do you remember how we were how we met? Was it Brian? Did Brian introduce us? Nope. Close. Frank Agan? Frank Agan. There yes. we go. Yeah. Yes. In fact, yeah. In fact, he was just commenting on... Uh, do do you know Dr. Gleb? I've I've, his, I've seen his name. I've seen yeah. his name. Yeah, he had just commented on his. He's really good about once he introduces guests to the show about helping us to promote him afterwards. So you'll have to give him a big thank you for that. But yes, it was Frank. All connections lead back to Frank somehow. I've decided. Always. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to tell you, I know this is kind of off topic, but I I just watched your TEDx talk because I mean. I kind of got to know you backwards, right? So I didn't start stalking you because I saw you on a TEDx talk and all that. I talked to you because of Frank, and then we just started getting to know one another. So I finally got to finish your book and watch your TEDx talk, and I'm telling you, Serial Gate cracked me up. <laughs> and I, I mean, can you just kind of give us a quick overview of Serial Gate, the trauma? Yeah. Within? Yeah, so I, I wanted to to talk about a, uh, a conflict that people could relate to, because as I was prepping for the TED Talk, I was bringing up examples of law and mediations. These are some conflicts. And uh, people were saying, we can't relate <laughs> to those situations. Can you get something a little bit realer? And then, then they said, what is something at home that really makes you mad? It's like, I don't know. Well, you know what? You know what it is? Whitney eats my cereal. And it makes me really mad that my cinnamon toast crunch is just gone. Like I meant to share it. I didn't mean to share it. I got it for me. And they're like, oh, that passion. We like that. And so that's the conflict we went with. 
you know what? You left out a very important part, though. Your original response. <laughs> yes, eating all of her granola. And <laughs> you know what's funny is it, it's it's actually bad for her now because now I have learned to like granola, and um, and now I just eat it not on, not not out of spite but out of enjoyment, which actually is worse because the spite eating wasn't as frequent. <laughs> <laughs> I just wipe it all out. But I feel really good when I do it. I'm like, this is now, you know, I think that is such a great example of a conflict that everybody can relate to. And, you know, but you also you, you have a different twist on that. So had you not reacted with the granola, what, what was the better reaction? What did you end up doing and what did you find out? Yeah, so I found out two things. So we're going to we'll talk about what I found out in the moment. Um, and then what I found out now projecting three years post TED talk. Um, so number one, I found out that she didn't recognize it was an issue. She thought everything was okay. And that was mind boggling to me. <laughs> it was such a, a big thing for me, but it was nothing for her. Oh, I didn't even know. So bringing it to her awareness was one thing. Now projected three years into the, <laughs> into the future, I've, I've learned that sometimes people just don't get it. <laughs> and it, it's just going to keep happening and it still happens. And I say, Whitney, I did a whole TED talk on this and you're still going to do it. You're, you're unfixable. Uh, so Casey, you'll know when I've made it, when I, I post a picture on my in Instagram of a lock for my, for my own personal cabinet uh, for my goodies. Cause, cause now my son Kai wants, wants to get in on it too. It's, it's absurd. You know, and that is so crazy that it's all over cereal. I would not have pictured you a cinnamon toast crunch guy. That just wouldn't have pictured that. Yeah. So. You know, people, some people eat real cereal. I eat candy with milk essentially, but I'll go ahead and keep going with it because it's delicious. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, and one other thing that I learned reading your book and, you know, watch not your TED talk. Cause I think your TED talk was pre-Kai who is your son and he is two. Oh, actually, he's four, so he was around oh, at that point. Okay, but I don't remember you talking about him on the TED Talk, but I do remember you mentioning in the book that w your most difficult conversations are with Kai, your negotiations. Yeah, yeah, because toddlers are unreasonable, completely unreasonable. But the way I look at it is that uh, it gives me good practice dealing with Kai. And, um, of course, as a, as a parent, it would be easy for me to just by force tell him to do things. No, I'm your dad. Do it this way. Do it this way. Force him to do it. But I like to try to take the, uh, the more challenging approach and reason with him. I shouldn't say reason um, because I think reason, rationality, logic as it relates to persuading people, I think that's a, a fiction that we've all become addicted to because it's not really that effective. In, in our most heated conflicts. So I tried to um, get him to make the decision himself. And so using the compassionate curiosity framework, which I'm sure we'll get into uh, later on in the, in the um, interview, but getting him to decide by himself to do the right thing without using um, my, my parental force. And uh, the thing is, when I do this consistently, what ends up happening is that the everyday conversations that I have become a lot easier because adults are going to be a little bit more reasonable <laughs> than a four-year-old. <laughs> and so it's just practicing. I want this to become a habit. So anytime I'm confronted with a difficult conversation, I know exactly what to do. That is amazing. I wish I had known that when mine was, were little. <laughs> so <laughs> I think we just recently, my son's 26, and we just recently got to the point where 
I, I use this. I use this, you know, this in the coaching. And he's like, mom, what happened to you? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just getting better, I guess, of my old age. <laughs> so it That's was really funny. interesting. Um, so we were so fortunate at VIP that recently you did a lunch and learn for our team on negotiating. And I just love that your focus is on not just negotiating, but negotiating anything. I love that you take that focus on it. Um, what got you started on this career path and how did you learn your negotiation skills? Yeah, so we have to go back to undergrad for me because um, I my undergrad was in psychology. So graduated from OSU with a psych degree and minors in Spanish and foundations of law. And so I wanted to be a therapist. That's what I wanted to do up front. And, um, but then I started to get into politics because I said, well, I want to be in therapy or help people through therapy because I want to help people. Um, but if I become a politician and I can change things through policy, then I can help more people. That's just more efficient. So let's just do that. And so that's when I went to law school. I did a dual degree law and a master of public policy. And as I went through school, I, <laughs> I re began to realize I do not want any part of this politics life. Not at all. Not at all. Thank goodness. Um, so really, when it comes to negotiation and the way that I practice law, it's all about using psychology to persuade people to resolve conflicts and, and make these difficult conversations easier. That is amazing. And I think that you, what you're saying goes right along with who you thought introduced us, which was Brian Ahern. Um, yeah. doing his uh, ethical persuasion. And it sounds like that's what you also endorse. Exactly. And the thing is, I like to think about um, persuasion from the inside out. And so, of course, since you read the book, oops, sorry, that was my cell phone. Um, <laughs> since you read usually the book, you rains. know. <laughs> I know, it's usually not the guest just knocking it over <laughs> clumsily. <laughs> but um, with, with the book about the first 60 to 70% is just all psychology because my, my, the way I look at it is that it doesn't make sense to give recipes to people who are afraid to get in the kitchen. If you have psychological and emotional barriers to being your best self in these conversations, then we need to address that first. It doesn't matter what techniques we give you because you're not going to be in a mindset that, that can actually use it. And I think this is huge because again, the best things in life are on the other side of difficult conversations. And if we can help people to unlock their potential in these conversations, we're putting them in the position to live the best version of their life. Well, I've actually experienced that because I've had some fantastic coaching from Kwame. So thank you for that. Um, you know, and I think people often feel negotiation only happens at points of conflict, right? Um, and when you spoke to the team, you really debunked this myth and emphasized that negotiation actually helps to strengthen relationships. So how so? How does that help to strengthen relationships? Yeah, and I, I mean, it goes back to the my approach with negotiation uh, and think of the name of the podcast, Negotiate Anything, because I want people to constantly recognize that they can negotiate all of these interactions. So I, I stopped thinking about negotiation as a tool or a skill. Uh, and now I think about negotiation like a life philosophy. So every interaction is going to be filtered through this, this perspective. And then this helps me to be a lot more intentional with the way that I interact with people. And the goals I set in negotiation, number one, get more of what I want, avoid things that I don't want, and then strengthen relationships. No matter what you do, you can always strengthen relationships through the process. And if you think about each interaction as a negotiation, now you're going to be a little bit more mindful of what you say 
and how you say it in order to maximize your chance of success. That is so interesting. I think that goes very well with our next topic because this is one of the things that we really talked about during our Lunch and Learn, which, by the way, I just want everybody to know that the Lunch and Learn, um, it was a two-hour Zoom room seminar. And, you know, and so we're all sitting at our desk participating in this. And about halfway through, Kwame's like, oh, my gosh, do you guys need a break? And everybody's like, no, keep going. You know, <laughs> no, everybody was just so fascinated with your content. So, again, thank you for that. That was so great. Um, but what role do expectations play in negotiation? They're a huge part of, of negotiation. So when you think about it, the root of every single breakdown of every relationship is a violation of expectations. Mm -hmm. And so that sounds like an extreme statement, but when you think about it, it's, it's really true. So for example, people might say communication, that's what breaks down relationships. Well, that's a symptom, not a cause. So we assume that you're going to communicate with me in this way, and you actually communicate with me in that way. And the gap between expectations and reality, that's going to be the amount of frustration, anger, resentment that we feel during the process. And so if we can clarify what our expectations are going into the conversation with the other person, before we start talking about substance, before we start talking about who needs to do what, if we talk about the expectations, then we're going to avoid a lot of problems down the road because you might recognize early on, oh, wait a second, we're not on the same page at all with these expectations. Now I'm going to use these negotiation skills and target them toward addressing that gap in expectations. And before we move on, I'm going to level set with these expectations so we're on the same page and then we can move forward. You know, that's one of the things that I do with my candidates that I found was such an issue with recruiters um, in the beginning is that they would tell their candidates, you know, I'll call you. And when you tell me you're going to call me, that's a promise, right? To me it is. And a lot of times recruiters don't follow up on that. And it gives recruiters a really bad name. And so my tactic, and, and I say almost exactly what you said, but I, whenever I'm working with a new candidate, I said, okay, now I want to manage your expectations of what you can expect from me. And the first thing I'm going to tell you is I'm not going to call you to check in. So you will not hear from me unless I have opportunities for you. And that right. sets such a different tone, you know, because they're not expecting me to call. They know I haven't forgot about it. And they also know they have access to me. They can call me anytime. And so it really works well to set the rapport for that relationship from the very first call. Absolutely. So, um, so a lot, let's just talk about our job seekers. Okay. So a lot of our listeners are job seekers. What are some tips you have to help them best communicate their expectations when they're either working with a recruiter or directly with a hiring manager? Well, again, I think we have to just be explicit with what they are. And so I think one of the most important things we have to negotiate is the agenda for the conversation. Mm -hmm. What are we even talking about? What's the scope? And so we want to put clearly on there either expectations or communication style plan for communication, those type of things, right? We want to make it abundantly clear that there's actually some kind of line item for this conversation where we make sure that this is addressed. And maybe it's a situation where the conversation isn't that formal. Well, you just want to make sure that you bring it up. That's the biggest problem people have is that they just don't do it. And uh, we overthink it sometimes, but it's really that simple. First, 
bring it to the fore because it's kind of like the uh, the iceberg analogy is lying beneath the surface. A lot of these important negotiations are believe beneath our conscious awareness. But now that we are aware that it's so important, we need to just make a, a concerted effort to have that conversation and get clarity as to where they are and where you are and where we both need to be in order to go forward. That is fantastic. And I think that you know, like with our candidates, one of the things that we have them do, and this is so that they can manage their own expectations, right, and set that framework, um, is, you know, at the end of the interview, ask them, when can I expect to hear from you? Because that's, you know, follow-up is huge, and a lot of times companies, will I hear from you whether or not I'm in consideration for moving forward? Because that lets them know, because a lot of times companies won't call, right? So Absolutely. That's a great example. I think another thing that you talked about, you talked about so much in the lunch. I almost brought all my notes with me, but I did, and I thought that might be a little creepy. But one of the other things that you talked about in the lunch and learn was creativity. So where does that fit into negotiation? So simple rule of thumb, the more paths to victory you have, the more likely you are to achieve a victory. And so if you're going into a conversation with only one solution, um, then it greatly decreases the likelihood that you're going to find success. So we can't be rigid in these conversations. We have to be open to other possibilities. And the only way that we can be creative is if we have a very clear understanding on what it is that we want and why we want it, and a clear understanding of what they want and why they want it. That's critical. And so there's a difference though, because we, we have to say, we have to think a little bit more critically about this situation because most people would say, well, I know what they want. They told me they want this. Is that it really? You think that you think they told you everything about it? Probably not. Probably not. A lot of times people hold things close to their chest. And so there's a classic negotiation uh, dichotomy. Um, and it's the difference between positions and interests. So positions and interests. So a position is what somebody says that they want. I want $100,000. And so an interest on the other side, that is why they want it. People just don't want money unless you're Scrooge McDuck. You're not just going to swim <laughs> in your money, right? You want money to get something. And so maybe, for instance, you might say, yeah, I want $100,000. Okay, let's let's dig into that. Tell me about that. Why? What is it that you're hoping to accomplish? Well, the thing is, if I, if I get this job, I'm probably going to need to get a, a better car, more car insurance, because at this point, I didn't have transportation because I was working really locally. I could use public transit. Now I'm going to need to commute about 45 minutes. So I need more money to compensate for the time and commute in the commute and time for transportation. Okay, well, what about if we have work from home? If you could work from home, what, what does that do? Oh, okay, that solves a, a big problem, right? And so we're getting beneath the request. We want to go into these conversations assuming that there is a why behind the thing that they're asking for. So we can use these negotiation tactics, asking great questions, getting curious, and really seeking to learn more in order to figure out what it is that they really need and then find a creative way to give it to them. That is a great example of that. And I love that you use the money as an example because everybody understands money, right? And then, and I was kind of like, when you first started, I was like, where's he going with this? And then when you were like, oh, what if you work from home? And I was like, oh, there's the why. Why do you need the money? I get it now. That was really yeah. great. Um, I guess that's why you are the senior director there, right? Because you know how to yeah, negotiate. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, okay, so I want to hear, I know that you have a framework for going into these negotiations and being effective at them. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so in the book, Finding Confidence in Conflict, I outline a three-part framework called the Compassionate Curiosity Framework. And it's intentionally simple because most likely if you're emotional, you're under stress, you're probably not gonna think much deeper than what I'm gonna give you. So step one is acknowledging and validating emotions. Step two is getting curious with compassion. And step three is engaging in joint problem solving. And so this is a conversational framework that we can lay over any conversation, any kind of conversation, especially the conversations that have an emotional element to them. And so with acknowledging emotions, we're just labeling the emotions. What do we see? And then we're validating it by saying that makes sense. It makes sense that you feel this way. People want to be seen and understood. And if there's an emotional barrier, then acknowledging the emotion helps people to calm down. Getting curious with compassion, we're asking open-ended questions with a compassionate tone to make sure that people aren't interpreting what we're saying as a threat and then clamming up. And then joint problem solving, this is where we introduce that creativity, where you're providing a solution, I'm providing a solution, we're going back and forth. And really, if we do this well, it could possibly feel like a brainstorming session. We're just trying to figure out a way to solve the problem together. I like kind of going back to the second part, the um, getting curious and the empowering questions. I love this. I'm learning this in coaching school right now. But I loved in your book that you talked about how, you know, empowering questions are how, what, when, where, but not necessarily why. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So why sounds judgmental. So you think about it, I mean, let's bring Kai into this again, so the four-year-old. So, yeah, he's a great example. <laughs> he will continue to be a great example uh, through adulthood. And um, so imagine Kai, he's four, he's going to do things that are inexplicable sometimes. Why in the world would he do that? So from our years of, as a child, the word why has always been associated with judgment. If we ask why, if our parents are asking why, it's probably because we messed up. Same with our teachers. Why would you put that answer down? That, that's weird, right? It's always associated with judgment. So even if you use the question that starts with why and you are as respectful as you possibly can be, because they're in a heightened emotional state, it makes it more likely for them to interpret that question inappropriately. They're probably going to take that negatively. And so if you have a question that starts with why, you can easily change it to a question that starts with what or how. And the thing is, it's, it's tough to do this off, off the fly, Casey. It's really tough. And so that's why we have a ton of free negotiation guides. So if people go to AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com slash guide, G-U-I-D-E, you can get over 15 free negotiation guides, salary negotiation, conflict resolution, all sorts of guides um, that will help you to prepare for your negotiations. And I can personally tell you those guides are extremely helpful because I have used them. Um, so I, I also wanted to talk about something else. I can't remember if this was in your TED talk. It was probably both TED talk and your, uh, and, and I'm kind of going off topic here. So bear with me. It, um, so you referred to an amygdala hijack. What is that? 
Yeah, so the amygdala is the part of the brain that registers emotions, positive or negative emotion. That's where it comes from. And so sometimes when we get really, really upset, they call it an amygdala hijack because you get really emotional and you can't think straight. And um, that's the interesting part about the way the brain works. When we are highly emotional, we can't think very clearly. But if we're thinking clearly at a high level, we're less likely to be emotional. It's an antagonistic relationship. And that's why with the framework, we start off with acknowledging emotions because labeling the emotion in order for the person to properly assess whether or not the label is correct or incorrect, they have to use a part of the brain that's located in the frontal lobe. They have to think more deeply about it. And so that's why this process works. That's why it gets people to calm down. And so they can start to overcome that emotion, uh, that amygdala hijack. That I, I'm so fascinated by the brain, as I'm sure you are too, because it's all, you know, we also talk about the, you probably know what it is. I just call it the RAS, the reactivator activation Yo, system. The reticular activation that system. One. Yes, yes. And how it really works on what you focus. But I, I think too, though, and I think like if somebody's in a heightened sense and they're about to go in for an interview, right? What and, and I know that that I mean, will this framework still work for that to get them out of the amygdala hijack and into their thinking part of their brain? Absolutely. And so, again, when we transition into asking those open ended questions, we want them thinking more so than feeling. They have to think deeply about the answers of the questions that we're asking. Uh, there's also something called the focusing illusion. And so whatever we focus on is going to be the thing that's most important to us. Um, so there's a fun study that they did where they had um, college students who were single. And so they asked one group of them, hey, how happy are you? And then they asked them, how many dates have you been on in the last month? And so they found there was no correlation between happiness and the number of dates they'd been on. Then with the other group, they flipped it. They said, how many dates have you been on in the last month? And then they said, how happy are you? And so then there was a higher correlation. And the reason why is because by asking that question, it caused them to focus on that thing. So they weren't really answering the question, how happy are you? They were focusing on the dating life. So they were saying, how happy are you with your dating life? And so bringing it back to recruiting and that coaching type of mentality, if you recognize that you're dealing with somebody who is very emotional and you're trying to calm them down before they go into an inter interview, asking questions that get them to focus on something else is going to be more powerful, more positive. It's going to cause them to calm down. And so if you're aware of some of their most recent victories, the things that mean a lot to them, I would start asking questions that ask that that give them the opportunity to describe that experience. How did you feel when you did that? What led you to do that? How did you know that was the good solution? Then what happened afterwards? So now they're not focusing on how nervous they are and how big of an opportunity this is. In that moment, because of the focusing illusion, what they're focusing on now is that positive mindset that you're getting them to, to pay attention to by asking them about things that they, they care about. I love that. You know, and, and I'm glad you said that because I usually start, if I'm interviewing for an internal or whatever, I'll usually start the conversation, especially if they've listed any hobbies on their or other interest on their resume, I'll start there. So it sounds like I'm doing it right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, I, one more thing that I wanted to ask you about, and I think you talk about this as being a higher level um, technique in the book, but maybe not, but you talk about a no sandwich. 
<laughs> yes. So um, book reference for this, The Power of a Positive No by William Urey. Great book. And so it walks you through how to say no in a way that can actually build the relationship. I did a full episode on this on the show because people really struggle saying no effectively. They're, people are afraid of rejection personally. And at the same time, they're afraid of rejecting other people because they know how much it can hurt. And so they don't want to do that and risk the relationship. And so, but sometimes in negotiations, you have to recognize no is the right answer a lot of times. That's, that's the right move. So we need to know how to say it effectively. And so what we want to do is use a yes, no, yes framework for saying no. So the reason why we say no to things is because we're saying yes to something else. So if somebody says, hey, Kwame, I want to hang out um, tonight at, uh, at 5.36 p.m., uh, I'd say, listen, no, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm hanging out with Casey. There's, there's a yes. I said yes to you. I'm committed to you at this time. That's why I'm saying no. It's not because I don't like you, right? And so what I would do is I would talk about the commitment that's preventing me from saying no. And then the no is going to be very, very, very short because the more lengthy and long-winded you are with the no, the more room they have to negotiate <laughs> with your oh. no. And then you say yes to the relationship, yes to the continuation of the negotiation, yes to the friendship right? So what it would look like in that situation with, with my friend is, hey, thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. Uh, unfortunately, I already have something scheduled. I have a fantastic podcast interview already scheduled for that time. So unfortunately, I have to say no. But listen, I appreciate your friendship and I want to make this happen. So let's try to figure out a better time to make this work, right? So when you get that type of no, um, hard to feel bad about it. <laughs> I love that. And I'm going to need you to send me that episode number because I have a hard time saying no, and I need to get better at it because I am wore out. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not going to believe this, Kwame. We are almost out of time, and I definitely want to make sure that we ask you our VIP questions because I'm so curious to hear your answers, number one. <laughs> um, are you ready? I am ready. All right. If you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three things or people would you take with you? Well, since now Whitney is listening to my podcast interviews more often, uh -oh. I definitely <laughs> have, to, <laughs> have to take Whitney and Kai. So those are two. I would take Whitney and Kai, and then I'll take my, my cell phone uh, because cell phone solves a lot of, pro a lot of problems camera. It is a phone where I can communicate with people. It has all of the uh, social media so I can continue to communicate with people. So it'll help me to live a decent life on Mars and at the same time communicate with the relationships I had back home, um, assuming their service. <laughs> <laughs> you can assume whatever you want. That was a very open oh, question. Perfect. <laughs> um, okay. So what is one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success? I have a gratitude journal. And so what I do is I go through the gratitude journal and I write three things that I appreciate that made me really happy. And then I do what I call a happiness meditation. And so it, I can't, I can't, I've, I've never been able to do lengthy meditations. That's just not me. But what I would do is I would do take three deep breaths, just trying to relax more with every single deep breath. And then six deep breaths, focusing on one of the things that made me the happiest. And so, so the first three deep breaths, focusing on the thing that would be happy, make me happy and uh, just trying to ha have a slight smile or laugh while I'm doing it. So I'm really embracing that. And then the third deep breath, the next three deep breaths, that's me actually imagining it coming inside of me. 
right? And so what I've recognized when you think about uh, neuroplasticity, uh, which is the concept that says that the brain actually changes with um, consistent effort, you, I, I want to create these pathways where happiness becomes the norm. And so by constantly doing this meditation, it, it helps me to feel a lot happier throughout the day. And if I'm feeling bad during the day, what I do is I go straight back to that meditation. I have three gratitude journals, one at home, one at the office, one in my bag. So if I ever need a, a jolt of positivity, I have my process. I really love that. And I think I may try that. I, I've not heard that before, the happiness meditation. So, and I, and I think you're right. I think it is so important that you create those pathways in your brain to get to the success where you want to be. And I want to be a happy person. So I'm going to try it. That's exactly. And, and here's the thing, because I started doing this when I was, there were times when I was really down. And then I realized I'm, I'm creating mental habits here. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about habits, I think on the out, outside, we just say habits are things that you do. But when you think about it on the inside, you're strengthening these neural pathways. This is becoming the way that your brain is shaped. So it becomes a lot easier for your brain to operate in these ways, right? And so when it comes to anger, if you feel anger for a short period of time, anger, right? It dissipates. But if you don't resolve it, it becomes resentment. And anger is how you feel. Resentment becomes who you are. And I realized if I did not address this fast enough, that's how I'm going to be projected throughout the entirety of my life. I said, oh, that's a bad path. <laughs> we have, we have to bring this back. <laughs> yeah, we're not doing that. I'm curious. Um, so and tell me if you've heard of this before. I just heard of this on a podcast the other day that, yes, gratitude journals are amazing. But this person, instead of only writing what they're grateful for, they would take something that they weren't so grateful for and have gratitude for it. Have you heard of that? Ooh, that's that's a unique approach. And I have not I've not seen studies on that one, but I think it's a good mental exercise because yeah. you think about it in the book when I think when I talk about using uh, an opportunity framework for perceiving things differently, where we might be in a really tough conversation and we say this conversation, I need to have this conversation because it's an opportunity to blank and we can always fill in the blank and you can look at anything in your life and say, well, this was actually a good thing thing because of blank. And I think back to some of the, the hardest times that I had, I said, oh, no, I am who I am today because of that. Had I not experienced that thing, I wouldn't be where I am now. I needed that. It didn't feel good at the time, but I needed that. And the way I look at life, I say, I am the author of my own life. As I'm living this life, I'm writing the book. And so something bad might happen. And since I'm the author, I need to get creative and say, hmm, what am I going to do? Okay. <laughs> yes. And this was actually a good thing for Kwame because. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I have never thought of it as an intentional practice, but looking back, that's something that I've done personally. I love it. Okay. My final question. If your life's work was being summarized in a headline or in a news article, sorry, I almost bombed that one. What would the headline be? <laughs> <laughs> There's so many options, and I, I, it, it's funny because yeah, I read the the the, the questions before, but I, I feel like I'm betraying a part of myself with um with <laughs> with my answer. But I'll just I'll go with this one. Strategy works. Plain I'll, and yeah, simple. I'll, go, I'll I'll stick with that one. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Kwame. This has been. 
as great as I had anticipated it was going to be. Thank you so much for being on here with us on the We Are VIP podcast. How do people get in touch with you? Yeah, so I'm very active on LinkedIn. Check me out on LinkedIn. Um, active on Instagram too, but I, I understand that people usually just follow me so they can see pictures of Kai. I get it. I'm fine, <laughs> fine with that. That's um, what I'm going to go follow you for that. <laughs> right. Um, check out the podcast, Negotiate Anything. And if it's you're fantastic. a team need- Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. And you're going to be on the show too. So yeah. it'll get even better. Yeah. Oh, thanks. <laughs> So um, if your team needs negotiation training, um, let me know. We, we can do that. We, we did a program with Casey and her team. And I think the best piece of feedback was within hours, I was able to negotiate and get a deal that paid for the cost of the training. <laughs> incredible. It was incredible. I mean, I was like blowing up your phone going, you are not going to believe this. It was great. That was so cool. <laughs> and the, and the, the interesting thing about that, the person that the feedback came from had been in this business for a very long time. And he was, you know, one of those where I've seen everything under the sun. And you gave him a couple of new techniques that day and he put them into practice right away and they worked. That's so, so cool. That's I, that's what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kwame, we're going to have to wrap up here, but I just have one more thing to say to you. You are a VIP. Thank you. <laughs> and that's a wrap for today. Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. To find out more, log on to wearevip.com.